Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 37 of the Hydrogen Nowcast for October 15th, 2021. The Hydrogen Nowcast is sponsored by New Day Hydrogen, who's helping fleet owners meet their zero-emission vehicle needs. If you're a fleet or transit operator, and you're wondering how to convert to zero-emission vehicles but still meet your operational needs, New Day Hydrogen can help by providing public hydrogen fuel stations, and showing you the available fuel cell trucks and buses. To find out more, just submit a request at the NewDayHydrogen.com website contact page. So listeners, the title of the podcast today is Failure of Imagination. You know, there's a number of hydrogen podcasts available today, and each has its focus or specialty. For example, the Everything About Hydrogen podcast focuses on interviewing companies and often interviews CEOs. The Hydrogen Rising podcast from K&L Gates focuses on legislation, and the Hydrogen podcast from Paul Rodden focuses on covering hydrogen news stories, and I hope you're all listeners to those podcasts. Now, what I try to do with the Hydrogen Nowcast is two things. First, I try to provide understanding, insight, and perspective by integrating the hydrogen technology and business issues into a bigger picture and a way of looking at things. And the second is that I'm trying to inspire people at the grassroots level to take action, to get out and to do something. Now, this phrase grassroots and the phrase failure of imagination are both known as idioms. And since we have a lot of international listeners, let me explain what an idiom is and what both of those phrases mean. Now, I'm continually mindful of the fact that the Hydrogen Nowcast has listeners all over the world. In fact, 50% of our listeners are outside the United States. So I make a conscious effort not to use words or idioms that might not be understood outside the U.S. Okay, so what's an idiom? Well, an idiom is defined as a group of words that have evolved in a particular region to have a meaning not literally interpreted from the individual words. So, for example, somebody in the U.S. might say, it's raining cats and dogs, which means it's raining really hard. And an American speaker might also say something is a piece of cake, meaning it's easy. And by the way, Spanish speakers have a similar idiom, pan de comida, which literally translates as it's like eating bread, which also means it's easy. So when I say a grassroots movement, That means a movement that starts with individuals, not with companies or governments. So what about failure of imagination? What does that mean? Well, failure of imagination is a phrase indicating a circumstance where something undesirable yet seemingly predictable, especially in hindsight, was not planned for. So this implies past tense, but I think we can extend the concept of failure of imagination to the present and future as well. For example, if we continue down the wrong path or to keep using an outmoded way of thinking, that could be classified as a failure of imagination. So another way to describe this is things people could figure out if they just thought it through. And as Thomas Edison was fond of saying, 5% of the people think, 10% of the people think they think, and the other 85% would rather die than think. (laughs) So Another way to look at this is the power of reasoning. You know, I think a lot of the failures around reasoning can be traced back to bad assumptions and the failure to more carefully examine those assumptions. Now, I've spent a considerable amount of time studying reasoning, 
And one of my favorite books is The Five Elements of Effective Thinking. And frankly, I think this should be required reading for everyone. Now, if you do a search for the book, note that the five in the title is a numeral, not spelled out. So again, the book is The Five Elements of Effective Thinking. And by the way, this book makes a great gift for young people. So one of the most often cited examples of failure of imagination was the failure to predict the terrorist attack on the Trade Center Towers in New York City. And, you know, in the analysis after the event, it was discovered that data existed to predict and possibly even prevent the attack, but it was concluded that nobody could have imagined that hijackers would be willing to die. It was assumed that hijackers usually want to live. So this really was the failure of imagination. So let's see if we can learn from the past and look for some failures of imagination in the energy transition in general and the hydrogen ecosystem in particular. You know, a few recent personal experiences have brought a few things to mind for me, which I'd like to share. So first, let's turn our focus to solving the problem of how we're going to entice every single driver and vehicle owner in the world to convert from petroleum-powered vehicles to zero-emission vehicles. Well, I think the first and most obvious point is to ask just that question, you know, how do we entice them? Now, unfortunately, I think far too many people and companies and governments skip this step and just jump right to their favorite solution. Well, duh, that's a failure of imagination. So, you know, if you're ever trying to sell something new, whether that's a product or a service, you know, it darn well better be as good or better than what people have now. I mean, this is just basic first year business school theory or just basic sales technique. So what do we mean by as good or better than petroleum vehicles? Well, obviously most people in businesses have vehicles in order to move people and their stuff around. And the vehicle they select is based on the amount of stuff and the distance. But there's many ways to move yourself and your stuff around. But in many cases, having a dedicated vehicle is more convenient than the alternatives like say taxis or, or buses. So I like to summarize these concepts as performance and convenience. You know, performance covers the cargo space and towing ability and the range, and convenience is the ease of use and speed of refueling. Now, of course, cost is also a factor. You know, our, our new mode of transportation better be close to the existing costs, although if it provides better performance and convenience, you might be able to demand a premium. So again, the failure of imagination is the failure to acknowledge this is how users will respond to and accept zero emission vehicles. So how do we apply this to zero emission vehicles? Well, at the current time, there are just two ways to power zero emission vehicles, either batteries or fuel cells. And how do these compare to petroleum vehicles? Well, Fuel cell EVs give users the exact same experience they're accustomed to now in terms of hauling capacity and range and speed of refueling. However, you do still have to go to a fuel station to refuel it. Now, people are used to that, so that may not be a big deal, but what if we could do better? So I'm going to come back to this in a minute. So now let's consider battery EVs. You know, the single advantage of this technology is that you can recharge these vehicles at home or at your business, but this can be both an advantage and a disadvantage. So if you have the ability to charge at home and you don't exceed the battery capacity during the day, battery EVs are actually more convenient 
than petroleum or hydrogen vehicles because you'd never have to go to a fuel station. But if you can't charge at home because of your living situation, or you need to recharge away from home, battery EVs become problematic. You know, charging takes a lot of time and it always will because of the limitations on how much power you can apply to the vehicle to charge it. But let's take this concept of charging at home and see if we can apply it to fuel cell EVs and end up with the best of all possible solutions. Now, as many of you know, a fuel cell EV does have a battery. You know, in a way, all fuel cell EVs are actually hybrids, where a hybrid is defined as having two energy sources, a battery plus some chemical source of energy. However, on fuel cell EVs, the battery is often pretty small. Now, in the case of the Toyota Mirai or the Hyundai Nexo, the battery is about one and a half kilowatt hours. Now, by comparison, a Tesla might have a battery that's between 50 and 100 kilowatt hours. So why did Toyota and Hyundai decide on this battery size? You know, as an engineer, I think we can assume that this was done after careful consideration of a number of criteria. You know, no doubt things like volume, weight, cost, and performance were factors. However, features like the ability to charge at home as a plug-in hybrid probably were not. So I'm going to come back to that in a second. Now, I recently had the opportunity to drive a fuel cell Mirai for the first time, and I only drove it 25 miles through Denver, but what caught my attention was that the Mirai, and I assume probably the Nexo as well, have a video screen that shows you the propulsion energy flow from the fuel cell, the energy in and out of the battery, and the energy flow to and from the electric motor. So as I drove, I made a little game of seeing if I could keep the battery topped up by using real light acceleration and trying to obtain regenerative charging through deceleration. And what I found was that just around Denver, which isn't really very hilly, at least where I was driving, I could keep this small 1.8 kilowatt hour battery almost topped up. And that got me to thinking that if I was driving in the mountains or on hilly terrain, the recharging from the regenerative braking and the deceleration would probably often exceed the capacity of this small battery. In fact, I know that a lot of battery EV owners find that when driving in the Colorado mountains, they often nearly deplete the battery on the uphill part of the trip, but gain much of the energy back into the battery going downhill. So my point is that the Mirai and the Nexo could benefit from a larger battery. So this is where I had a flash of insight and briefly overcame my own failure of imagination. What if fuel cell EVs had larger batteries and have the ability to externally charge that battery? In effect, they become a plug-in hybrid fuel cell EV. You could charge at home for trips around town, giving you the convenience of a battery EV, yet you could have the convenience of a petroleum vehicle for long trips and for towing trailers and in cold weather and, and, and the like. Now, the larger battery would also mean you could recover energy during extensive braking or decelerating downhills, which is a big deal in Colorado, but maybe not other places. Now, of course, a larger battery would add some weight and some cost, but manufacturers could make the size an option, which could be selected by the buyer. So, for example, if your day-to-day -day travel was 30 miles, you might select a battery with a 50-mile range. Or if you traveled 50 miles a day, you might want a 75-mile battery. And if you do a lot of mountainous driving like I do, you might want an even bigger battery. 
So how much would including these batteries add to the cost of the vehicle? So assuming a battery costs of about $140 per kilowatt hour, for a 50-mile battery, around $2,500, and for a 75-mile battery, around $3,500. So you can probably see why fuel cell vehicle manufacturers install a small battery to help keep the vehicle price down. But still, it'd be nice to have the option of a bigger battery. Now, Stellantis over in Europe is one manufacturer that's figured this out, and they offer a plug-in hybrid fuel cell EV as a mid-sized van, and they call it the Vivaro E Hydrogen. And this vehicle is made in Germany. Now, the vehicle has a 4.4 kilogram hydrogen tank and a 10.5 kilowatt hour battery. So the battery alone would probably provide around 30 miles of range or about 50 kilometers. And they claim the combined range running from hydrogen plus battery is about 250 miles or 400 kilometers, which is pretty tiny for the American market, but possibly fine for Europe and the UK, which is the current target market. So to all you automakers out there, I hope you're listening and that you'll consider providing the option of a larger battery in all your fuel cell EVs and also add a plug so we can charge that battery at home. You know, the ability to charge at home would also reduce the need for as many hydrogen fuel stations as we have gasoline stations. All right, so let's look at another example of failure of imagination, which came to my attention recently around this paradigm of fueling vehicles. You know, all our lives, our experience for fueling vehicles is that the vehicle has a tank that you refill. And this was fast and practical for gasoline and diesel, which are liquids, but for hydrogen, which is a gas, this can become problematic. You know, hydrogen has this annoying characteristic that it heats up when it expands, unlike most nice, well-behaved gases that actually cool when they expand. So as you fill a tank on a fuel cell vehicle, the hydrogen is expanding and it's getting hot. So you have to take measures not to overheat the tank. Now, this has been solved for passenger cars by pre-chilling the hydrogen to minus 40 degrees when you put it into the vehicle. But what if instead of flowing hydrogen to the vehicle, you simply remove the empty tank and install a full one? Now, I understand this was considered, but it probably doesn't make sense for cars since cars are pretty compact and the tanks are so integrated with the body and the chassis. But what about for trucks and buses, which have much more space available for tanks? And for trucks, at least, the tanks are easily accessible and fairly standard from model to model. Does this paradigm of filling a tank with fuel instead of swapping the tank still make sense? Or is this a failure of imagination? Well, I don't have an answer for that, but I offer this idea for your consideration. All right, so... Where else can we apply our new superpower to detect failures of imagination? I think another obvious failure is in understanding how we're going to move vast quantities of energy around that's now satisfied by moving petroleum. I mean, just imagine all the energy now moved in pipelines and by tankers and replacing that with something else. I think this leads to two failures of imagination. The first is that we simply substitute hydrogen for petroleum. I think the failure here goes something like this. Well, petroleum is a molecule, hydrogen's a molecule. Let's just make a substitution. But this breaks down because hydrogen isn't anywhere near as compact or in other words energy dense by volume as petroleum. 
So this means, of course, it has to be either highly pressurized or liquefied, which adds to the cost and the energy inefficiency. Now, the second failure here is that we simply assume that we substitute electricity for petroleum. But electricity is difficult to store and slow to transfer, for example, into a vehicle. And it also needs wires and lots of them. And not only do we need more wires, but we need wires to go places that they currently don't. So the true answer is that we really need the duo of both electricity and hydrogen to replace all the functions of petroleum. You know, really hydrogen and electricity are two sides of the energy coin. It's much easier to move large quantities of energy as hydrogen than it is to build new transmission lines. The hydrogen could be moved in pipelines or in trucks, you know, stored as ammonia or possibly methanol. Now, the last example of failure of imagination I'd like to address is the failure to recognize the need to generate demand for hydrogen. In other words, hydrogen customers. You know, everybody seems to be focused on making hydrogen and making it cheaper with little thought to who's going to buy it. You know, I hear businesses all the time who talk of standing up hydrogen generators, but none of them seem to be mindful that they've got to find and develop customers. If you're selling something, you need to find your buyers. Now, scale is important here as well. You need to match the scale of your source to the scale of the demand. You know, you might have a source of really cheap hydrogen, but if your source produces 100 tons a day, you need customers who need 100 tons a day. You might have to start small and scale your source up over time to match the scale and demand. Now, I think that this failure of imagination in this case stems from the fact that hydrogen is different from most other products and services. For almost any other product or service you can think of, if you offer it, someone could buy and use it. You know, cars, appliances, electronics, clothing. In those cases, people don't need to pair your offering with some other thing to use it. But we're still developing this whole ecosystem of hydrogen supply and hydrogen use. And of course, a prime example of that is the need for hydrogen fueling and fuel cell vehicles to basically hit the market simultaneously. You know, examples of larger scale hydrogen users could be utility gas and coal generators or steel, cement, or glass manufacturers. Now, it seems to me that developing the demand should be the number one focus of governments. That is to pass legislation and regulations requiring some use of hydrogen in specific cases. Now, this would create a demand for hydrogen to break the stalemate and get things moving. For example, requiring that state and federal vehicles convert to fuel cell, or that gas utilities be required to inject a bit of hydrogen into the natural gas system. Just these two things alone could start the demand and supply cycle in motion. So listeners, that's my short list of failures of imagination or examples where we all need to think through alternative. Let's hope that these ideas of fuel cell plug-in hybrid vehicles, the idea to provide a selection of zero emission vehicles that suit everyone in every use case, and to understand that the duo of hydrogen and electricity are needed to provide all the functions of petroleum and provide greater focus on generating hydrogen demand. Let's hope all these things catch on. And I believe they can, but we all need to help. So listeners, if you enjoy listening to the Hydrogen Nowcast, please subscribe to the podcast and also give us a rating in your podcast app. A good rating helps us be discovered by other people. 
And of course, word of mouth recommendations are really important. So consider letting people in your own network know about the Hydrogen Nowcast. And again, we'd like to thank New Day Hydrogen for sponsoring the Hydrogen Nowcast. New Day Hydrogen is working to build out and deploy hydrogen infrastructure to enable us all to convert to zero emission vehicles. So as usual, if you'd like to contact me, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me through the website at colorado-hydrogen.org or on LinkedIn. So until next time, this is Brian DeBruin wishing you health and prosperity. Goodbye.